0: Hello, filmy people. I'm back with my boy, Flinty. There we go. Coming up on today's show, we have all the latest news. We are dedicating a section to John Candy and the amazing legacy he left us way too early, 25 years ago. And finally, we review a little film you might have heard of called Captain Marvel. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, You have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions talk filmy hello me.
1: welcome to the talk filmy to me podcast the film podcast about news entertainment general pop culture this is the first and last episode 61 and just like alan partridge's 25 year absence from the bbc i have a legend has come home it's the return of the king the return of the jedi mary poppins returns if you will john Descomento, how you doing buddy
0: mate that was one of the best i loved it alan partridge as well Ugh, are you loving it
1: I've only watched the first episode. The second one came out last uh, last night and uh, yeah, I'm I'm loving it man. Like there's something so transcendent about a character that has been going on for so long which was only ever meant to be just like a a skit on a on a comedy show and has somehow evolved into a a character that's got far more context, far more uh, personality than some of novels greatest literally characters, right? <laughs>
0: Annie's evolved like crazy and the the modern I love the modern incarnation of Alan Partridge is brilliant. Anyway, how are you doing Flinty?
1: I am very tired, sir. It's been a manic, manic week. Uh, we've been getting lots and lots of people contacting us uh, about doing collaborations and even had someone asked, would we be interested in comparing a panel at a conference, uh, which is insane, but uh, more on that another time. But uh, yeah, really good, mate. Uh, we got lots of great feedback from the last pod back in the studio with Zoe, Zoe of a shotgun. Did you listen to it, John? What do you think? Uh-
0: I did. I loved it. As usual, the quality is amazing. Uh, and yeah, Zoe, uh, she didn't do so well in my game, but that's, that's okay. I made it maybe a bit too mainstream for her. Um, <laughs> but I was really interested in hearing about the horror, the extreme horror. And it's also made me want to never watch one. Uh,
1: <laughs> but, oh, a Serbian. Yeah, thing. yeah that's, that's pretty fucked up. But was it weird? Because like, it must be like someone driving your car listening to someone host your podcast.
0: Yeah, or, well, that was a kind reference. I was thinking of something a bit more um, cavalier than that. But yes, uh, <laughs> driving my car, that's right. Uh, no, it's, it's, I like it. It's like listening to a fresh podcast. It's nice. nice. I do not have to do any work for it.
1: Okay, well, speaking about some work I've had to do this week, uh, this week is marking uh, Marvel's 21st cinematic endeavour with Captain Marvel. Uh, I've been to a screening of it, and this is the review for Talk Filming to Me. So, Skrulls are the bad guys. And you're a Cree, a race of noble warriors? Heroes.
0: Noble warrior heroes.
1: Marvel Cinematic Universe has been many things to many people over the last 10 years. We've had some amazing characters portrayed on screen and it's fair to say though, that there is a bit of a gap. The gap is obviously a female led superhero movie within the MCU. Yes, there's been amazing female characters but not necessarily having the whole bill for themselves. And It's fair to say also that Marvel got beaten to the punch by DC. they done the Wonder Woman movie a couple of years now, Paddy Jenkins directed and it was absolutely fantastic and the world waited with bated breath to see what the response from marvel would be well wait no longer Uh, this is brie larson taking the role of carol danvers uh, in the film captain marvel it's based on a comic book Uh, apologies if you are a reader of the comic book i have not read the comic and so my review is purely just on the film that i've seen and not knowing too much about the character Uh, essentially carol danvers becomes uh, the universe's most powerful entity uh, over the course of this film it's essentially an origin film but it is not a paint by numbers origin film in my opinion one of the things marvel has been kind of critiqued on over the last few years in particular is they've obviously realized they wanted to introduce a bunch of new characters over the course of this last phase of films knowing that certain actors might have contracts expiring or certain characters stories are starting to conclude and it makes sense to uh, bleed in new talent and they've decided to really go for a diverse angle so that's why uh, black panther is and rightfully so because if you saw the success black panther had grossing nearly two billion dollars and hopefully a whole new universe is being set up from that uh, and just more unconventional heroes like doctor strange for example and this is just another uh, another step in that creative freedom widening the universe so that everyone can see a bit more representation on screen Um, so Carol Danvers is as mentioned the most powerful entity in the universe and how she becomes that powerful you find out over the course of this film Um, it's not a traditional paint by numbers origin story Uh, yes they do go back and show you uh, how she became Captain Marvel and how she inherits these powers and situations but it's not done in a linear fashion it's done via flashbacks Um, essentially in 1995 Carol was for lack of a better word abducted by a race of aliens called the Kree Um, they train her and give her some pretty cool superpowers or you think she's been trained by them anyway and uh, over the course of the film she has various flashbacks that make her realize she had a life uh, before she was abductive she actually was uh, she was on she was on earth and she was a pilot and had some pretty cool friends and done some awesome stuff obviously this is set in 1995 which means the soundtrack is chuffing awesome it varies from TLC to Nirvana to I think some No Doubt was played a couple of times there as well yep The Needle was dropped a few times with some awesome tunes and loads of nostalgia she even crash lands into a a blockbuster video so in terms of cast as mentioned Brie Larson she's absolutely incredible in this like you can really see a level of care and attention has gone into the character development in this film Uh, Brie Larson's Carol is a strong charismatic person who is somehow able to find time to bust Nick Fury's chops whilst at the same time making this believable right she is literally the strongest entity in the universe and by the end of this film you generally believe it and you are thinking Thanos watch the fuck out because she is coming for you in terms of supporting cast, Samuel Jackson is in this film he plays a young version of Nick Fury he's been de-aged uh, amazingly actually it generally looks like someone has taken a time machine gone back to 1995 and plucked him out of the history books and put him in this role. He's so funny in this film. You can tell he's had the best part of 10 years of perfecting Nick Fury, and this is probably his best performance, in not it? There, yes, there's lots of comedic relief. Yes, there's some genuine origin stories of ah so that's how he lost his eye and things like that yeah again not spoiler alerts because we kind of all know we're going to hear this sort of stuff in the film in terms of MCU Illumini we've got Clark Gregg coming back reprising his role as Agent Coulson again being de-aged for this he's not really in this film that much it kind of they kind of put his name on the posters, and they they show a lot in the trailers. But in all honesty, what you see in the trailers is pretty much what you get of Agent Coulson in this. Also, a couple of other MCU alumni. We've got Daman Hounsou, who's back as Korath. He was the guy in Guardians of the Galaxy who, right in the trailers and kind of at the start of the film, he was the guy who went, "Who?" and, uh, you know, everyone kind of chuckled at that. Also, Lee Pace is back as Ronan the Accuser, uh, the bad guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. And that's what I quite like about this film has managed to find little paths, little routes into the MCU. Obviously, with it being set in 1995, there's a lot of continuity in canon already it needs to adhere to and not impact, but I suppose enrich, and definitely this film enriches that. Um, there is a mysterious artefact on Earth, which uh, Carol and the team are after. It's fair to say it's a mysterious artifact that we all recognise, but I'm not going to go into spoiler details other than that. And uh, yeah, Jude Law in this is playing essentially. Uh, I it's kind of like the Rachel ghoul, if you're a comic nerd for that. To um, to Brie Larson's Batman. What I mean by that is he's the guy who trains her and and uh, basically makes the, the hero or starts building the hero anyway and it's it's an interesting take and it's an interesting dynamic between those two but i have to say the chemistry between brie larson and samuel jackson is so charming it is so funny uh, there are so many great moments in this film from uh, her basically saying why the hell does shield like wear clothing that's branded if you're a secret organization surely the last thing you want to do is be branding yourself which is quite funny also shout out has got to go to the cat and um, you see it on the posters all the time we we're talking about it in previous pods uh, the cat which is goose is literally a steam ceiling cat he is so funny and yes it's a lot of CG work involved but it's got such a humidity to it it's very nice as mentioned this is an origin story but it does set a premise for what is going to come in Endgame. and yes please stick around in the post credits as we've been trained to do now because you are basically seeing a scene from Endgame, which is going to fill in some gaps from Infinity War. Um so where does this film sit for me in terms of the MCU? We're already in 21 movies now and where do we think this film sits? I definitely think it's a top 10 MCU film which is in amazing good company possibly even top 5 um, I think the film does start off a little bit slow uh, a lot of people have complained about the direction Marvel went in terms of getting the, the writing staff on this but this is written and directed by a pair called Anna Boden and Ryan Fleck they've worked together on many films I generally think the writing's fantastic. fantastic like, I, I generally love it you can't talk about as to mention you can't talk about a film in 1995 without dropping the needle of some pretty damn good tunes there's an the amazing scene where Carol's having to fight off a a bunch of foes and they play no doubt i'm just a girl in the background yes there is some gender politics uh, to talk about in this film of course there is and rightfully so right this is the first female-led cinematic endeavor of a superhero for the mcu and um, there are even some lines which are basically kind of saying this is what women kind of have to deal with on a day-to-day basis and it's right to call that out and it's right to, to see how Carol responds in those sort of environments and, and to those sort of people and to the, all the man babies on the internet right now trying to boycott the film or slam the scores. I say get a life. Uh, Brie Larson is not out to get you. Uh, this film has every right to exist in the way it does and it is told in a very, very good way. It holds up against any other MCU movie. Uh, the effects are absolutely spellbinding in this. The only sort of, I suppose, issue, it's not an issue, but I suppose my critique of this film is that it took a little bit too long to really get started um, a lot of I suppose set placing in terms of just setting the scene and, and bringing you along that journey right at the start of the film um, it probably takes about an hour in before it really starts becoming that the film it's meant to be in terms of portraying carol's story and the characters and the nick fury stuff like as soon as she meets nick fury like the film goes from being average to being transcendent it is a general beautiful performance between those two the stan lee cameo obviously cuts a little bit deeper now because this is the first live action cameo since his passing and it's absolutely beautiful it brings a tear to your eye and if you are a 90s kid you'll recognize the more rats reference in this film Look, I can't really give it much more praise than I already have. I generally really like this film. It definitely holds holds weight against all the other MCU movies. I hope that this is going to spawn some more sequels, some potential spin-offs, and, uh, yeah, just bring on Endgame. Like, that last scene, that kind of really sort of laid the pace for where we're going with this and uh, the future's brighter marvel and i for one cannot wait to see the sequel to captain marvel and and where we go from that like i said Breed larson's incredible but unfortunately i've got to give the mvp to goose that cat has turned me around i'm a dog person but that cat's absolutely incredible in this film go see it i'm giving it four out of five it was very close to a five it was just that intro it took a little bit too long to get but nonetheless it has definitely won the films of the year go see it captain marvel You the cutest little thing. Aren't you cute? What's your name, huh? What's cute? I'll be back. News. It's fair to say Will Smith's had a bit of a Bit of a crap few weeks, right? He's had the blowback from Genie, Bluegate, as it were. He was dropped from the Suicide Squad sequel uh, due to, you know, goddamn conflicting schedules. Uh, But he thought he got a break. He landed uh, what he believes to be a role of the lifetime, uh, playing Richard Williams. For those of you who don't know, he is the trainer slash father of the Williams sisters in tennis. Uh, I don't know why all the press outlets have only been reporting this as Serena Williams' father. Yeah, there are two of them. And, uh, yeah, the film's (laughs) going to be cool king richard it's a biopic i think it's funded by netflix but that i might just be making that up i need to validate that but there's been lots of controversy about this because um essentially what they're saying is that will smith doesn't really look like uh, like richard williams at all uh, especially when it comes to skin tone and things like that what's your what's your take on that john um pfft.
0: I mean, Rami Malek does not look like Freddie Mercury at all, in my opinion, and he, he won a freaking Oscar, so uh, I, d- I don't read really too much into it. I mean, how many people know who uh, like how Richard Williams looks? It's kind of ridiculous. It doesn't really matter, does it? If he does a good job portraying him, then great.
1: Mm, what do you reckon? I'm kind of two camps of this, okay? So, because obviously people want to hear what two middle-aged white dudes think on the matter, but... Just, just middle humor. age. Fuck, now. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just uh, humour me for a second on this. So, when it's portraying someone who is a um, a famous celebrity. In terms of in the public eye, whether that's through the entertainment realms, whether that's through music or sports, they tend to be a personality involved in this, right? So that person has to personify the personality, the essence. That's how Rami Malik done such a great job as Freddie Mercury. He didn't necessarily look the part, but he definitely personified it and done a role which you know lit the senses enough for us to really admire this interpretation. Now, when that person isn't a well-known personality and isn't uh, famous for something other than their achievement, then you probably should get the representation of how it was very specific and accurate. So that being said, Will Smith looks nothing like the dude. I don't know what the dude's mannerisms are. Does that really matter? It's more about what he achieved and how he achieved it. But also, couldn't you find another actor? Like, did it have to be Will Smith? Like, is it just a, is it just because of a name? Like, wouldn't you rather get, like, a damn good actor? But then again, what do I know? Maybe Will Smith killed it in there. Uh, in the auditions and and that's why we've, we've, you know, he's got the role.
0: It's saying Will Smith's too light a skin to play him. I mean, I, I, so I just think this is a big hoo-ha. I think anything to write an article over it, you know, that's what it feels like to me. It's, doesn't, I I don't get it, to be honest. Especially, it's go, he's going to be playing a younger version of him. I mean, how far does this go, man? You know, we're acting. Not, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> but they're actors. They're acting as someone else, you know? I, yeah, yeah, I think I, it's nonsense.
1: I agree. That's why I said I'm kind of in two camps. Part of me thinks, you know what, this is acting, and who cares who's playing it, as long as the person does a great job personifying the character. Great. The other part of me thinks, did it have to be Will Smith? Couldn't they have got... Someone the right age, the right look, and all that sort of stuff. But who knows? Look, if he goes out there and absolutely smashes it of a performance, then we're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the great performance. So let's, I suppose... The kind of talk filmy to me uh, responses let's wait till we know more before we comment. So let's, uh, I suppose, uh, stick to those laurels. Anyway, speaking about Netflix and people that aren't resting on laurels, Steven Spielberg has really come out and been scathing of Netflix over the last couple of weeks, but in particular this week. Um, he is on a mission to try and get Netflix original movies are excluded from certain award categories uh, he believes that they are not preserving cinema that he believes that it's a massive issue and impact on the industry as a whole, it's amazing someone can say that from their ivory tower um, after Ready Player One may not have done as well as he liked and maybe is blaming other services for that, anyway uh, and glass houses and everything in between that John, where do you sit on this, are you pro Netflix, especially after how they done at the Oscars this year?
0: It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because I completely understand what he's saying. You don't want to ruin the magic of going to the cinema, I think is his his main gripe. And I, But I think there's room for both, you know? Like, me and you, we go to the cinema once a week, once every couple of weeks, and then watch a load of Netflix too. I mean, I think you can do both. I think they can help each other, if anything. Yeah. Um, I don't think anything replaces the cinema experience. So, um. I... I don't know. Maybe he's, he's just a little not moving with the times.
1: Uh, I think it's definitely a little bit of old man yells at cloud syndrome. But Sorry, I,
0: Stephen. I do love you, but
1: um, <laughs> I maybe. Do, I do think that there's something here which he doesn't necessarily get. And I think Netflix's response to this has actually been quite, quite beautiful. What they've done is that they went and got uh, someone to do kind of like a talking mouthpiece to the, the camera. Apologies, can't remember the, the woman's name, but uh, it's more about, it doesn't matter who she is, it's what she said that matters. And uh, she basically come along the lines of Netflix enables creativity, it enables diversity, it enables people to have a voice, it enables people who can't afford to go to the cinema per se, to... Uh, who but can afford a Netflix account, or at least have access to a Netflix account, to experience a diverse range of culture, a diverse range of art, a diverse range of experience. Now, it is fair to say that due to the financial constraints of making a motion picture that's worthy of being in a worldwide or nationwide cinematic release, that there is a bar, there are some doors... Whether you like to admit it or not, there are. And Netflix is opening those doors for those creators. Now, I'm totally with John. I don't think there's a world where it's, you must have cinema or you must have Netflix. They can play in each other's toy boxes, right? You can have amazing people like David Fincher going over to Netflix, producing some great TV shows, maybe the odd great original movie. But also you can have people that then dive back into the big screen and vice versa. And the truth is, what I ultimately think is going to happen, we're going to get better content. And unfortunately for that small pool of people who have lived on top for so long, you're going to have to share the limelight. You're going to have to share the big contracts. You might not get the big jobs. You might not get the Oscar nominations anymore. And that's going to be a tough world to live in. And for those people, get the times or move on. That's 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 my take on it. Here, <laughs> hear.
0: Uh, I do agree with him. I mean, the worry about Netflix, uh, Netflix monopolising the industry, I think, is a fair concern. Um, but I mean, I think the answer to that is more competition.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. So you can't say I don't like that because they might get big. Like that's 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 the definition of a monopoly. There, squashing the little guy so that they don't have a chance of of knocking you out, sort of thing. So l- let's let's just see. Let's see more. Let's. It's not been a bad thing. Roma has been an amazing success. And that's just one example of when Netflix gets it right of their films. If you listen to this podcast and subscribe to this podcast and heard us since day one, you'll know that the hit ratio of Netflix original movies to like to your good Roma star movies, there's probably about twenty shit movies as well, right? So it's not everything that they churn out is gold by any means. So let it live, live
0: and let live. That's right. Let me paint paint a vision of the future, though, Flinty. Ten years time. Yeah. um, No one's going to the cinema. Things come out straight away. You watch it You stream it because people can't kind even of bothered. How? I mean, how do you feel about that?
1: I think make content that's worthy of the big screen and make it priced at a point that everyone can access it. That's it's not it's no different to any other industry. People thought People thought Spotify were going to kill the music industry. It hasn't. it? It's made it more accessible. It's also
0: devalued artists. Okay, uh, okay. I've somewhat. realised
1: I've just touched the <laughs> chord there. Sorry about that, buddy. But, uh, but yeah, it's also got a lot of people discovered. Anyway, that's a whole... That's a pod in itself, isn't it? Let's, uh, let's move away from that before we break up the band. So... Um, <laughs> Maleficent. I can't even pronounce that right. M- Maleficent. Thank you so much, John. Maleficent. Um, the sequel <laughs> has been has been announced. Oh, it's one of those days I can't pronounce stuff. Um, the sequel has been announced. It's going to be called Mistress of Evil. The poster dropped through on social media. What people didn't notice is that they've actually brought the release date forward to October 2019. It was originally scheduled to be in 2020. And so, yeah, more Disney in the year. Uh, to be honest, I'm not too fussed, but John, what's your take? Well, I was
0: unlucky enough to actually sit through the uh, first one um, <laughs> on a Disney cruise ship, no less. On It was actually the night before it premiered, because the cruise ships get it one day before, just as a little, you know, enticement to go on. Um, really? It, it really
1: it, nails in that Stockholm zone
0: <laughs> Yeah, it was really crap. Um and so yeah, I I I'm surprised there's a second one to be honest. Uh, me and Jamie is one of them times where we went to a movie and nearly left but didn't. <laughs> uh, we we stuck it out. But it's it's not a good movie. And also Mistress of Evil. I mean, if you've seen the first one, Maleficent, is kind of a, a troubled villain, but as uh, also you know Disney Disney villain. Mistress mm. of Evil sounds a sounds a bit strong for that. But um, yeah, Color Me. Um, Uninfused.
1: <laughs> Didn't they finish off with? Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm probably going to go into spoiler alerts for this film. So if you are absolutely desperate to see this, then skip forward 30 seconds. Didn't it end with like Sleeping Beauty, but told in a different way, where basically they've gone, ah, oh, she's not that bad, really. Like, mm. is there any more they can do? Anyway, let's. Let's see. Obviously, the people want what the people want. Uh, people voted with their with their pound coins, and their pound coins have led to this sequel. So let's see. Anyway, something which I know we are both absolutely stoked about. Game of Thrones final season, April 19th, I think, is when the, the premiere happens. Uh, it's a premiere across everyone's screens. Cannot wait. John, have you seen the trailer? And how excited are you?
0: I've seen the trailer. I'm excited. I'm going to be a, a cynic, though game of thrones trailers are the most pointless things in ever because they can't show you anything there's they don't want to spoil anything and rightly so so they can't there's nothing to see so it is literally just an, a vehicle for excitement and it works but at the same time i needn't bother i mean does it matter if you watch it i'm excited for it to come out but yeah what, what about you
1: it's done just enough to, to remind me that I absolutely love this show <laughs> and I cannot wait to see it again. We've got to see dragons flying around.
0: That's, I mean, that's always good.
1: Yeah, I mean, what Sky Cinema... Not cinema, sorry. What Sky Atlantic are doing at the moment is, I think they've figured out, like, if they put an episode on every day between now and the premiere, if you started with episode one, you would finish with the, the, the finale of the previous season the night before. So that's what they've been doing. Every now and again, I'll flick on TV and it's on the earlier earlier seasons at the moment and you can kind of tell the actors still aren't quite right they they look a bit baby-faced a bit fresh dialogue's kind of not there yet and we actually have kind of seen this cast grow up over the last seven or eight years and you forget that completely and the effects in some of the earlier seasons were perfect for the time but actually they They kind of don't hold up now. So like, even in the pilot, the first episode of the Night's Watch, of that gate opening, it's clearly like someone's toy set and they've CGI'd a a guy walking out of it. It just looks quite budget compared to now, where it's like a a multi-million pound movie, pretty much, of those effects. Yeah, It's amazing to see that evolution. And uh, I actually am going to be quite sad when this concludes because I think very few TV shows capture the world like the way Game of Thrones has.
0: There's going to be, in 50 years, there is going to be a generation of hundreds of people that are going to say, I was in Game of Thrones once upon a time. And there'll be hundreds of more that can claim it. And no one will know whether it is true or not, because truly, I mean, it's employed so many actors from so many different walks of life. More for it, I say.
1: Anyway, uh, actually, while we're talking about Game of Thronesy sort of stuff, did you see the trailer for Tolkien dropped today?
0: I did, yeah. Uh, you were were a bit, you were a bit bored by the thing.
1: Oh, I was. I, I I think this is a film no one is asking for. Like I think they're trying to capitalize on the fact that Game of Thrones is coming to an end, so they've made this biopic uh, with is it Grant or Graham Holt? I can't remember the gentleman's name. The guy who Nicholas in... Holt. Nicholas Holt. Thank you very much. The guy who's the zombie in that uh, that weird zombie love comedy, but also Beast in the X Men movies. And um, he he looks. Okay, and he talks okay in it, but like, do I really want to know another origin story of another author that wrote something that kind of I liked?
0: Not really. I think I think this has a massive audience though. Think of the Lord of the Rings, and the Hobbit enthusiasts. They are gonna eat this movie up like there's no tomorrow. That is um, true. But yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, you know me. I love a biopic, um, but I'm not I'm a huge Tolkien fan. But um, yeah, I'll go and see it. I'll review it for you, Flinty. Don't worry about yeah, it, mate. We'll, I'm yeah, there. I'll be sending you. I'll do that one. one. <laughs> but,
1: um, the only thing, just to just to finish on that trailer, is that they give the narrative that it's because of this fellowship he's made with his friends at school, and some of them may happen to go with him to war and all that sort of stuff. And they give the impression that that is what inspired Lord of the Rings, and he wrote the Hobbit first. So it's just like a never let the truth get in the way of a good story, I suppose. But it's just a a weird narrative they're trying to do. Anyway, I've thought about that far too long. Um, Let's just talk about a couple of other things that are going on at the moment. So it was reported that Christopher Nolan's new film is going to be a cross between North by Northwest and Inception. And the whole internet world went, yay. And it's just been debunked. And turns out it's nothing but a a rumour, which is kind of sad. Hmm. Yeah, because that really—that uh, sounded right up my street.
0: Actually, it sounded like my perfect thriller. But uh, inaccurate is obviously Nolan's come out and be like, "Nope, do not characterize, mischaracterize my film, please." Uh, so bit of a shame, but hopefully it'll be even more interesting.
1: Love it for him to come out and just say, "No one's clarifying my film. Look, if I want to make an erotic thriller, I'm making a fucking erotic thriller." <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, and this is not related to the next piece of news whatsoever. It's a really bad segue. But um, (laughs) recently in the UK, uh, there's been kind of an influx of new uh, reality TV shows. Uh, I appreciate a lot of them would have premiered in the US over the course of 2018. But for some reason, they've all been released in the UK at the same time. So on Netflix, we had the Ted Bundy uh, tapes released. Uh, We've also recently just had uh, Surviving R. Kelly. Obviously, all around subject matters that are very disturbing and obvious obviously designed to evoke certain emotions in their audiences but you know apparently told in a very truthful way and uh, what is launching in the UK tonight is the documentary of Leaving Neverland. Now we usually talk about films primarily and every now and again tv that touches pop culture and this has definitely become part of the zeitgeist in the uk over the last few weeks and to the point where it's absolute it gets it's gripping tv but it's gripping for all the wrong reasons uh, yeah me and my wife have, have buzzed through quite a few of these tv shows of late and realized how it's warped our perspective of life kind of like how Zoe was talking about how horror kind of fucked her up a little bit when she was having to study it but um, anyway in the uk what's launching tonight is uh, leaving neverland ne- sorry leaving neverland which 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 is Michael Jackson's uh, documentary about uh, alleged, and it should be said that it's alleged, uh, child molestation and things like that. Now, there's been a massive group of supporters outside the, I believe it's the Channel 4 office, trying to protest against this being broadcast. It's batshit crazy that in a world where all these things are going on, that people still find time to go picket a Michael Jackson documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's... I
0: mean, it's verging on cultist because no one who's uh, protesting that directly has any more knowledge than anyone else. So it's it's crazy to think they know. You know, he's a hundred percent innocent, uh, or that he's a hundred percent guilty. I mean, a uh, very few people will know the truth, um, and I mean, it's we're tending to lean leaning more towards believing the accusers though in this day and age and maybe rightly so but um i'm definitely going to watch it and i I totally echo your thoughts about how these true crime kind of documentaries are fucking up fucking us up the ted bundy tapes i want to do a whole feature on this actually flinty but uh i the end of the by the end of ted bundy tapes i felt really strange the fact that i'd been gripped and had to carry on watching but mm. how did i almost felt like i had to have a long bath because i was like oh, i i kind of enjoyed watching that but it was absolutely horrible um
1: yeah you know, I, felt, I think it's a i feel the same about surviving r kelly um i watched that i only just finished watching that it's six episodes six ep- six one hour long episodes about uh, how r kelly manipulated and uh, for lack of a better word coerced a cult-like status of you know there's no other way of describing it accusations of paedophilia and abduction and he's got a way of it and operate for a very long time and that in that is not entertainment but yet somehow uh, it kind of is it, it gripped us in We've, we were literally on like hooks watching episode after episode and the yeah this is true these are people's real lives these aren't characters and uh yeah i i, I don't know what the answer is uh because i'm part of the problem I, I will watch it and i probably will enjoy the the entertainment of it not necessarily the subject matter but yeah it's a it's a weird time to be alive from that perspective
0: <laughs> let's have an honest conversation feature about it how about that flinty no holds bars Bard, sh- no holds barred.
1: I'm <laughs> sure that's it. Well, just to be fair, we do it already on the pod, so I don't think we'd say anything out of the term. But yeah, that might be a feature. And let us know your thoughts on that on Twitter at Talk me. And that's your news for this week. two days ago marked the 25th anniversary of the passing of John Candy. Uh, For a lot of people, that name holds very dear in people's hearts. A Canadian actor had been in some of the most amazing movies in the early 80s right through to the 90s. This guy was prolific. Like, he has been in a truckload of movies, like 66 movies or something insane like that, considering that he died at a relatively young age of 43. Uh, it's, It's absolutely incredible, his body of work. Uh, John, what is your first memory of John Candy?
0: First memory? Do you know what? It has to be uh, the budgeons van, uh, Home Alone. It's, he has a small part in Home Alone, but it's a very important part, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm sure you yeah. all do. Um, in the back of the van, taking uh, Mrs McAllister back to uh, Kevin. And I think that, that's the first time I experienced the warmth of John Candy. Um What about you? What was your first memory?
1: Uh, it's probably going to have to be Splash you know the Tom Hanks movie um, that was one of the first yes. films I, I was obsessed with that growing up I loved that film it was one of the first films I ever watched or remember watching anyway um, and it's had such a hallmark on my life actually turns out I ended up marrying someone who is the spitting image of Daryl Hannah uh, the mermaid <laughs> in that movie uh, I don't know what that says about me and my obsessions but anyway I found my mermaid But um, and it was directed by Ron Howard actually uh, one of his earlier films but um, for me, it's one of that early memories of him sitting there in the fish tank when they're trying to uh, catch catch the mermaid escaping, and it's just John Ham, John Ham, sorry, John Candy, with his little fishing rod, with a cigar, I was always having a cigar. That guy, weren't he? And it, there was something so earnest about a lot of his performances, and he brought a genuine likability to. Arguably some pretty crap dialogue. Like if you actually looked at the <laughs> the stuff he had to work with, he would make it work. I bet he was a writer's dream. Because you could he could just take something really basic and just make it funny. Like um in oh what's it called? Um trains, planes and automobiles, that line where he just says, uh, I bet you I bet you six bucks in my right nutsack that this this plane ain't taking off anymore or something. Yeah. it's just he has the ability of taking really average dialogue but just making it so funny.
0: Uh, absolutely and I mean he's yeah complete director's dream I think he managed to bring a warmth and like human char- character uh, to everything he did cool run I mean as Irv that's nah, probably yeah. my favorite role he does because he's not the immediate like comedic character you think of in some of his films but without him the move- movies would just lose all their heart and soul uh, and he was Canadian, obviously. That's why he's so nice. You can tell, can't you?
1: Yeah, he's got that nice Canadian guy charm about him. And also, like in a in a day of the internet and basically skeletons being known in closets, like you don't hear anything bad about him as far as i'm from from anyway not not i'm not not, not i'm going out and looking for it but you don't hear in the media like <laughs> oh john john candy done xyz right it's just it's just nice to hear that someone you hold dear from your childhood still holds up long after they're dead you know yeah
0: that's uh definitely a very nice thing um he quit smoking six months before he died isn't that a bit tragic? Yeah, but, well, um,
1: he, he liked to live hard, didn't he? Like my understanding is that he was a a bit of a not a party boy in terms of done anything which uh, you know would get him in trouble in the court of law. But like he he liked to live hard. Like he was never without a cigar. I think there's a, a routine he does in his comedy sketch of uh, they told me to quit smoking, so I started cigars, then chewing tobacco. <laughs> yeah, what a,
0: what a legend!
1: I got I, I agree with you. Cool runs is like. Absolute classic. But he has worked with some of the best people in the industry at that time. I mean, he's worked with Mel Brooks. Obviously, he worked with Macaulay Culkin, uh Martin Martin Lawrence. like Not Martin Lawrence, I was saying, Martin Freeman. Incredible, incredible talent. And uh, it's really hard to pinpoint, like, favourite movies. Cool Runners is absolute classic, but part of me always has a soft spot for Uncle Buck. I was
0: hoping you were going to say that. Uncle Buck. I mean, he, who plays a better flawed character? lovable family character than him. I, I went down a bit of a candy rabbit hole, which <laughs> I do night on a nightly basis, but uh, John Candy rabbit hole, I should say. And uh, yeah, he, everyone, there was just streams of famous people like Eugene Levy and uh, all the directors he's worked with just saying nothing but nice things, saying that he was just the nicest man ever, which you can see, it really comes out in his movies. And I don't think... I was trying to think of a, a modern comparison or anyone that remotely compares to him since, and it's really hard. For some reason, Steve Carell came to mind, but
1: that's not quite right, is I, it? It might be a lazy comparison. And you sh- to be honest, John Candy's uncomparable. But if I had to do a, a slight comparison, maybe just because they're both called John, but I'd be thinking more along lines of John Goodman. Like he, although John Goodman, and I, I fully love, and this, this is going under the radar, by the way. So if people start talking about this on social media and whatnot in the next year or so, if fucking started on this podcast, there is a John Goodman <laughs> renaissance of amazing character performances. Because he's all of a sudden decided, you know what, I'm not gonna just do comedy stuff anymore. I'm gonna go be an artist and really explore myself, even at this stage of my career. So if you think of houses like uh, Cloverfield, sorry, films like Cloverfield Lane, uh, when he's in Atomic Blonde, he's really finding different roles that you would never associate him with and maybe john candy would have gone down a similar route i mean they say you know comedy is all about timing and that's obviously great expressionism so i could see there's a world where he would have eventually moved away from comedy and gone into other stuff but just back on uncle buck i still for this day do not know how he managed to i know it's movies and you should never question movies but how did he flip that giant pancake so easily
0: (laughs) Do you know that pile of pancakes has always been etched into my memory? I think that's where that probably shapes my sugar tooth that I have now. But um, yeah, I just love it.
1: Absolutely. Is there any... What's like the... Because I've said like my favourite. What's your favourite like most memorable other than Cool Runnings' uh, John Candy performance?
0: Well, Cool Runnings is the one. Let's be honest. Uh, That's that's definitely my one. But... um, I loved uh, Uncle Buck as well, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. The uh, when Steve Martin's annoyed at him, uh, keeping him up all night, and then he goes into that dialogue, which has since been spoofed by Family Guy. Which there's a really funny skit in Family Guy that uh, takes that takes that scene and just basically copies it, like they do, but makes it kind of funny. Um, yeah, it's just so those little lines of dialogue that he does that just makes him. I mean uncomparable he just brings this heart and soul to like these comedic characters and I think he really pioneered that doesn't he
1: yeah I completely agree with that and I don't it's not necessarily just the dialogue he says it's the way he portrays it and it's the way that like I said before there's certain there's a certain level of earnestness about the way he he worked in the industry and the way he the projects he worked on and the sort of charm he brought to those movies and um, you think about that formula of unwanted family member turns up uninvited and pretty much ninety percent of those films are absolutely garbage. Uh, but Uncle Buck wasn't. In fact, Uncle Buck set the trend. He's also been in so many other cult classics that you might not necessarily instantly jump to, like John said, Home Alone. Uh, he's also been in Spaceballs, as mentioned before. Uh, he was even in The Rescuers Down Under, like he uh, Blues Brothers. Like the list goes on and on and on of some of the most amazing cultural movies of the eighties and nineties. And I can imagine we'll be talking about him in a much even even more of a glowing light. If he, wasn't, uh, if he wasn't no longer with us. Unfortunately, what they say, uh, what is it as they say? A light uh, twice as bright only burns for half as long. And I suppose in an age of internet body slamming and everything else, he was unashamably him. And I suppose I want to go out on that quote, actually, Jongs. So I think in, a, in this day and age of uh, internet shaming and people being dicks to each other, I think we should all be a little bit more like this. You want to hurt me? go right ahead if it makes you feel any better I'm an easy target yeah you're right I talk too much I also listen too much I could be a cold heart cynic like you but I don't like to hurt people's feelings well you think you you know what you want about me I'm not changing I like me and my wife likes me my customers like me because I'm the real article because what you see is what you get and never was a true a word said in my opinion beautiful you've taken the time to listen to this podcast if you've enjoyed listening to this as much as we've enjoyed making it please click on the like follow subscribe whatever button it is that you get more content from talk film to me I want to thank my boy the originator the host the church of state of film John how you doing buddy and what is your twitter handle
0: I am doing just fine and my twitter handle is at descamento
1: cool so next week we're back in the studio again Ooh. We also have another host. Uh, we'll be announcing it on Twitter, but this person is a massive name in the film blogging sphere. She is also an amazing podcast host and has an amazing job at a little magazine called Empire. So stay filmy till next time. We're down in the We'll lock the cellar
0: door and baby.
1: talk filmy to me.